today we are looking at the subject of prayer. Uh, my name is Stephen, I'm the site leader here and I just knew I had this date in my diary and I knew I was going to be speaking to you today right at the beginning of the year. We kind of had a bonus one last, year, last week from uh, Matt's book. This is our kind of setting course as a site this year. And I was considering what is it that I'd love to be able to say to us as a community and uh, I thought I'd talk to us about prayer. It's something that I was praying into and thinking a lot about uh, last year. That's why we've put in our uh, new site prayer meeting at a kind of more accessible time of seven to eight on a Thursday night. And Matt says, feel free to come every week. Uh, or if you can, just make it once a month or bring a small group once a month or maybe just book in a couple of times across the term to come and join us. We're meant to be people who pray and connect uh, with God. And so as I was thinking about this, I was drawn to this passage in Colossians chapter one where Paul praise uh, for this church and uh, as I've been looking at this passage there's some things that I've seen in it that I believe and I've been living there's some things I've been reminded that I need to return to and there's a couple of things or maybe just one thing that I didn't really want to hear from God that have prodded and poked me a little bit and I'll talk about that a bit more as we go on so we're going to look at prayer why prayer well it's because we are made to pray. We were made to be in this vital, living, breathing communication and communion with God. In Genesis, we see that Adam and Eve, it kind of intimates that they used to walk with God in the cool of the day. There used to be this wonderful ease in their relationship uh, with God. And it kind of made me think of the times I used to go to France with my family as a kid. And I used to go camping. It used to be kind of hot summer's days. We'd have a barbecue in the evening. And then after that, we'd go for a walk down to the lake or down to uh, the beach together. I used to just hold my parents' hands and just talk about the things of the day and how wonderful it was to be on holiday. So it's that kind of wonderful, idyllic, rose-tinted kind of spectacles about time with those that we love in good places and places of security. And uh, we'd get to the beach and me and my brother would get French bangers and blow up dead jellyfish on the beach. And uh, that's totally irrelevant, but I just thought I'd share that with you. But yeah, some of the idyllic times is spending time with God. But as you look at the Bible, we see other things that prayer is. Prayer is encountering the Holy One. The majestic one. We look at the life of Moses and see when he encountered God, he encountered God's holiness in such a way that when he left God, his face shone with the glory of God. Yet even Moses, his relationship was characterized by friendship. He was called a friend of God. But later on in Samuel, we see Hannah as one who brings her grief to God. She sobbed before God with the difficulty of her barrenness. And to the point where the priest thought she was drunk, so was her grief before God. But she wasn't drunk. She just got it. She knew what it was to lay her vulnerability and poured it out to God. We see David. David was a man after God's own heart. Kicked into the fields by his family to look after the sheep for hours, weeks, years at a time. He knew how to get away with God and realize that God was a perfect family, perfect father to him. And there he wrote many songs of praise and love to his maker. We read of many prophets who sought God on behalf of others, spoke to God and heard from God in extraordinary ways, sometimes downright strange ways. We also see God answering the prayers of people, sometimes very personal prayers, prayers of all kinds of need, both financial, personal, medical, uh, relational. Other times God answers amazing prayers, doing awesome miracles, great, giving great, miracle, uh, sorry, great military victories, changing things on the world stage sometimes even changing the weather or turning back time itself. 
not just in the Bible, but down through history, we see wonderful stories where God's people, sometimes just small groups of God's people getting before God, taking prayer seriously. And as they do say, great things happen. God pours out his spirit on people. They realize their great need for him, turn to him in repentance. And sometimes hundreds and thousands of people come to know God, changing societies, changing the culture around them. You can read these kind of revivals, just go and Google them, see some amazing stories. Really my desire is that we would have stories too. We have got stories. In fact, I could spend the rest of my time talking to you about stories that this church has and where God has answered our prayers as we've met him. But I want more stories. I want us as we humbly come before God, take him seriously, take prayer seriously, that we begin to have more stories about God, what God would do in us, in us personally, in our personal lives. What he would do in us corporately as a community of God's people here in the city. What he would do in our city. What he would do in our nation. What he would do in our world as we take him seriously. That he might revive our city, wake our nation up to the reality of his son and what he has done. The forgiveness of sins. The fact that Jesus is both Lord and Saviour. <clears throat> so with this in mind, we're going to look at what Paul prayed for the Colossians in chapter 1. But before we do that, I want to give you just a little bit of context. First thing to say is the Apostle Paul who's writing this part of the Bible. He is again in prison. And he's in prison for telling people about Jesus. And he's writing to a church that he's never been to, this church in Colossae. And he's writing to them because his friend, his mate, Epaphras or Epaphras, depending how you pronounce it, he planted it, in fact. His mate, Epaphras, he planted this church. And he's now visiting Paul in prison and he's giving a report about this church. And I think the report that he gives to Paul about the church in Colossae may be a bit similar to the report that he might give about us to Paul. And he describes the fact that the church in Colossae is good, but it's also bad. And it's also a bit ugly. And so we're going to look at what Colossae was like, and then we're going to look at what we're like. And then we're going to see what Paul prays for him. So we're going to look at the fact that it was good. Say good. good. It was good. Jesus has established a church in Colossae with people who know Jesus, have faith in him, know his love, and loving God in return and loving one another. Paul says in verse 3 and 4, We thank God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. There was something good there in this church, but there was bad as well. Say bad. bad. Not good, bad. Yes. They in Colossae are making the mistake that some other churches we read about are making as well. They are adding to Jesus' complete work. And Jesus saved us. When he did his work on the cross, he said it is finished. Everything that's needed for the forgiveness of sins, for our salvation and the attaining of uh, eternal life and being adopted into God's family. You know who does that? Jesus does that. We don't do that. But our temptation is to get it wrong. And to start adding to Jesus' work. Instead of him being saviour, we try and share that role. And that's what the Colossians were doing. And they were doing it by kind of false teachers coming and said, you know, if you really want to be saved, you really want to be chosen by God, well, you need to do certain religious, you need to honour certain religious days, do certain religious rituals, including circumcision. You need to avoid these foods and eat these foods if you really want to be saved. They were adding to Jesus' finished work. They were demoting God's work as saviour and putting themselves in that place instead. Paul's saying that that needs addressing. That's some of the reason for his letter. 
So there's good, there's bad, and there's? Say ugly. It's ugly as well. Someone shout out Tottenham. So whereas some were demoting the role of Jesus as saviour, others were demoting Jesus' role as Lord. And if you're looking into the Christian faith, let me encourage you. Jesus wants to save you in his love, but some of the way he saves you is also by leading you to his lordship. And he's to become Lord of your life. And the church in Colossae had the temptation that we all have, which is to accept Jesus on our terms. Accept a bit of Jesus rather than making him the center of our life, making him Lord. And for them, they were kind of meshing the belief in Christianity with all their other beliefs, lots of other gods and idols at the time. Let me illustrate it like this. It's like the fact that they, their, their life is like a solar system. And they're the sun in their solar system and they've populated their solar system with planets. And Jesus is just one of many planets, one of many priorities of many gods. And I made this point to say that Colossi, there was good, there was bad and ugly, but there is good and bad and ugly in, in all of us. The same temptations they had are the temptations that we have as well. Much of the church around the world today and here in Emmanuel is characterized by men and women of faith who have found Jesus, received his free gift of salvation and are good at offering it to others. Christians who are working with the power of the Holy Spirit to show Jesus' love to a hurting world. There is good. And I'm sure if Paul was still alive and was writing about us or to us, he'd also tell us that he regularly thanks God because of our faith in Jesus Christ and the love we had for all God's people. But like Colossae, there is bad as well. There is temptation to add to what Jesus alone has done. Where he alone should be saviour, people add all kinds of things in the way. Their own personal preferences for ritual, tradition, religion and laws. They put it on others and we are tempted to put it upon ourselves. Not trusting that Jesus' blood is enough. Instead, we add things to it. Engaging all kinds of religious thinking, acting to make us more acceptable. The church in Colossae, it was attending various seminaries and doing certain religious duties. For us, it could be doing what we think is expected of us, acting out of guilt and condemnation, either because of the external voices of others or sometimes just because of that inner nag inside us that accuses us of things. It could lead to us getting busy doing what we think is right, an over-the-top over sense of responsibility, or could be nursing a feeling of not being good enough, or accepting a distance from God because we know we've got things wrong. These things are not grace. These are not the salvation that God offers us through Jesus. Jesus should stand alone as Savior in our lives. But we can be tempted to put ourselves in that place, or at least share the role of Savior in our lives. And we'll look at in a minute how we combat that wrong thinking. So there's the good, there's the bad, and then there is the ugly in us too. The thing for Colossae is they, their syncretism, that's where they kind of put their beliefs and amalgamated it with Jesus and meshed it all together. Well, you know what? We can do the same. Failing to see that turning to Jesus as their saviour and turning to Jesus as our saviour means turning away from everything else. Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. He's the, the definitive, the definite article. He's not saying he's kind of a one way. He's not saying he's a version of the truth. He's not saying he's one way to life. No, he's saying he's the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only way to live life and to eternal life. 
There's no other gateway, there's no other path to the Father except through him. For many, this doesn't seem like an obvious issue. I don't think many church members at Emmanuel also happen to be members of a mosque or a synagogue or have some shrines set up at home to some particular gods or idols. I don't not discovered that at least. But all of us do have a temptation to syncretism, to amalgamate our belief in Jesus with other priorities that compete for our attention, for our affections, for our service and for our worship. Let me give you some examples. We could all bow to the God of money, wanting more of it or just wanting enough of it for financial security. Maybe for you, it's giving into the lordship of family, their demands and dominance over your decision-making. Maybe the self-actualization and success is God for you, where meaning for your life comes from what you achieve or caring about how others see you or comparing yourself to others or just comparing yourself with what you want to be. What about the aisles of education or sporting prowess or just love for your team, your favorite hobby or pastime or an obsession with being cool or cultured? Maybe it's good causes that you engage in, things that even the Bible would call good. Instead of becoming a thing in your life, become the thing. Things like fighting against a certain injustice or maybe just promoting good stewardship of God's word in terms of environmentalism. Things that we find in the Bible but when these things become an obsession, when these things become God instead of God being, being God, we've lost sight of what, how we are supposed to live. Even things that we would encourage as a church can be elevated to a place where only Jesus should be. Take the throne in our life, becoming the sun in our solar system instead of Jesus being the center of our lives. Some things in church ministry, maybe serving our children serving the poor, even studying the Bible, wanting to be a pastor, being a pastor can become a God instead of God being God. They can become many gods. The devil doesn't mind if you make something good, God. He loves it when we go off course. Even good things can become God. No, God must be God. So how do we combat this, Stephen? So the wrong things are wrong, but even the right things can be wrong. How are we going to navigate this Christian life? Let me encourage you. There's hope. What do we do? We pray. And we pray the things that Paul is praying here for the Colossians. He prayed over this church. I want us to pray over our church. I want us to pray over ourselves. So let's just take a couple of phrases from these verses in Colossians chapter 1. The verses will be on the screen for you. It says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let me pray for us as we unpack these verses. Heavenly Father, Lord, you see the good, the bad and ugly in all of us and in your church. And I thank you, you don't turn away, but you turn to us. You speak to us, love us. I wanna pray, God, would you grab a hold of us even now? Would you encourage us? 
Would you provoke us? Would you reveal more of your son to us? And uh, would you speak to us and leave us changed as we go out today? I want to pray, God, you might beat our expectations of what we have for this morning. Whatever we've walked in thinking might happen, Lord God, would you do something more? More than we can ask or imagine, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. These verses are rich with uh, different phrases and each one in one sense deserves unpacking. We haven't got time to do them all. We're just going to pick out a couple. And the first one I'd love to pick out, if you have it back on the screen, is verse 9, where Paul, he's asking something for the Colossian church. He's saying, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, God's will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. How are the Colossians going to turn from where they have been demoting Jesus as their saviour, demoting him as their Lord? How are they going to get their minds set right? How were they to get their hearts, minds and lives in order so they weren't giving into temptation of becoming their own saviours on one hand or amalgamating their belief in Christianity with their other beliefs? How do we do the same? How do we honour Jesus our Lord and Saviour and not give into the way that others live around us where the trappings of the world trap us too or give into religious works? Well, we need to ask what Paul asks. We need to ask God to fill us with the knowledge of his will and ask him for spiritual wisdom and understanding. Church, God loves you. God is a good father who loves to give us good things. And uh, maybe you, in your own mind, have a list of good things you'd like God to give you. Well, let me just tell you, right at the top of Paul's list of what he knows God wants you more than anything, is he wants you to see more of God. He wants the eyes of your hearts to be opened to the truth of who he is and what he has done for you and what he is doing in your life. Not just any old knowledge and wisdom and understanding. God in his grace to the whole world gives us knowledge and wisdom and understanding, ability to comprehend things and turn things over in our mind. Education is a good thing. Google can be a good thing. We can search for all kinds of things and fill our whole minds and lives with good knowledge and wisdom that helps us do life well. But Paul's not talking about that here. Paul is talking about divinely revealed knowledge. Holy Spirit inspired and empowered wisdom that changes the orientation of your heart, transforms your desires and allows you to see yourself as you really are. And more importantly, see God for who he really is. It takes God's help to really understand who we are as human beings, to truly grasp our need of a saviour and how our saviour's help comes to us. That's what it means, is, means to become a Christian. It's because our Holy Spirit has done something in someone's life. You may go looking for answers as someone who's not yet a Christian, but you go looking because the Holy Spirit is already working in your life. He's the one that leads us to himself. He's the one that turns the lights on. He's the one who takes us from death to life. But it doesn't stop there. When you become a Christian, you don't stop needing God's Holy Spirit's help to understand who he is. No, we need to carry on being dependent upon God's help to understand the truth of what Jesus has done, to comprehend, comprehend his love and how great it is. That's a continual state for believers and Christians. You don't ever graduate past that. Let me give you an example from an everyday experience of every person universally in the whole world. And that's how do you deal with the aftermath of the stuff you get wrong? How do you deal with the aftermath of your sin? That is things that you say, do, and think that are wrong. Maybe it's getting angry with a family member or a colleague and speaking out of turn. Maybe it's giving into a lustful thought. 
Maybe it's doing something else that you know to be wrong and you've got that feeling of guilt. How do we navigate that unless we have a spiritual understanding? Well, maybe we will be tempted to hide away from God. Maybe we shrink away from other people. We can move into self-pity or self-loathing. Maybe we punish ourselves. Maybe we think, oh, we've messed up. We've kind of already marred the clean sheet we had, so we'll just carry on down that track and yet do more things wrong, adding wrong to wrong. But when we are those who continually, without ceasing, pray for spiritual wisdom and understanding, it changes the way that we deal with the things we get wrong. So instead of hiding away from God, we realize that God is the one we're to run to. He's the one we run to for help. He's our hope, our help. He's the one who graciously sees us. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your proclivity to sin. He's not surprised. As we turn to him in humility, he comes and lifts our heads. With spiritual understanding, we find we don't need to shrink away from other people, but instead know that as we confess our sins to one another, that's the place of healing and forgiveness. Now, instead of being filled with self-pity, of self-loathing, we are to focus upon the person of Christ. Not focus upon ourselves, but focus upon him, the one who is pure and generous in his love, the one who has died in our place. That instead of punishing ourselves, realizing that death is all the punishment that's ever needed for the things that we've got wrong, that we can't and should not add to it. And then that we see this clean sheet that we've marred, we've messed up with our sin and our wrongdoing, we find that his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. He is the servant king who kneels before us and washes our feet. When we've put our foot in it, when we put our foot into the worst of it, she's the one who comes and kneels and washes us clean. Make it your daily prayer. God, give me spiritual insight, just even for this thing of our mess-ups. How do we deal with that? We can look at everything in our life. How do we deal with our anxieties? How do we deal with our temptation to religiosity? But let's just take another temptation. Let's take the temptation to syncretism, to amalgamate our belief and worship to Jesus with other things in our life. How do we deal with that? How do we move away from those things? We say, God, please help me to understand how to make you Lord of my life. I gave an illustration earlier of our life being like a solar system where Jesus should be the sun, we relegate him to being like a planet. And either we become the sun, the center of our solar system, or maybe make something else, something that everything else orbits around. I know I'm tempted to say, yeah, but it's okay, because God's an important planet. He's like Mercury, he's really close to me. Oh, Jesus, he's like Jupiter, he's really big in my solar system. But we need to know, no, God, give me true understanding about the place that you have and the place that you should have in my life. Give me power and understanding to make you the sun, make you the center of all that I am. That you are the one where everything else gets its life and its light, its purpose, its meaning, its orbit. Because without him, nothing else exists and everything else needs to be orientated around him. I've heard that many people over the years describe the Christian life and, and how we should prioritize things in our lives. And often using the kind of illustration of making a list. In fact, maybe making an actual list 
And what should be the top of your life? Well, Jesus should be the top of your life. And then depending who's speaking, whatever point they're trying to make, they'll put other things down the list. Maybe if you've got a family, it's your family that should be next. Or maybe it's Christian serving and ministry and church or serving the poor. Or then maybe it's worshiping God with your work and you make this list. And uh, I understand what they're getting at, but it grinds me a little bit. It kind of goes again. I think it, I don't like that as an illustration. And that's because it feels like worldly wisdom to me making a list and saying, yeah, for you, if you're a Christian, your list looks different to other people's because Jesus is at the top of it. And then you start the list. It's not like that with a Christian life. When we get spiritual understanding, we understand that it's not a list like that. Everything on our list must bow before Jesus. If we want to live out what Matt so brilliantly preached last week about honouring God with our lives as he preached from 1 Samuel and the life of Eric Liddell, where he looked at those who honour me, I will honour we need greater spiritual insight to be able to do that. Understanding and wisdom that takes Jesus off the top of the list and, corp- and incorporates him into all of it. Suddenly, he doesn't live on the first line, he lives on every line. The way I do my family, I do to honour Jesus. The way that I serve the church puts Jesus at the centre, not me. The way I do my work is an act of worship to Jesus. The other things I'd like to have in my life, I put to death for the sake of Jesus. Suddenly, Jesus isn't on the top line of the list. He's on every single line. Jesus is the reason, is the, reason the list even exists. And if we get that right, if we get our spiritual understanding right, then hopefully uh, Paul will, God will say of us, or Paul will say of us, of what's in verse 10. He says this, if you get this right, if you let spiritual understanding, make that your prayer and you get it, then you'll end up walking in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. What is your aim this year? Let me encourage you to make it spiritual wisdom and knowledge and understanding. That's one phrase. Let me look at a second phrase. And this is in verse 11. He says this, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And I looked at this verse and said, I want some of those things, more of those things in 2023. I'd like some more power. I'd like some more strength. And you know what? Yeah, I could probably do with some more patience too. And I'd definitely love some joy. That would be good. But there's a little word nestled in there. The word endurance. And I decided, hmm, maybe I'll find another scripture to preach on. Or at least if I preach it, I could just skip over this. There's plenty of other good phrases in this passage. I want to know that that wasn't a funny comment. That is a genuine thought that went through my head. And uh, over the weeks after I'd chosen these verses, I saw the word endurance everywhere. I was like, oh God, I don't want to endure. I've uh, been to A&E. Uh, a fair few times over the last few years. And uh, that's because um, I have an overconfidence in my ability to ride a motorcycle. And uh, so I have had a few scrapes. And uh, one time I was in A&E and uh, a clinician was uh, taking my blood pressure and I was with my family. And uh, they said to me, well, your blood pressure is really good. And I was like, thank you so much. And uh, they're like, are you a runner? I was like, I am actually, yeah. I, uh, I run several marathons a month actually. And uh, my family laughed uh, because they know that couldn't be further from the truth. 
I have an aversion to running. I won't even run for the bus. And uh, if I tried a 5K, it would not be pretty. I probably just couldn't do it straight up. And uh, so I have an aversion. And uh, when it comes to endurance running, when it comes to marathons, I don't have an aversion. I have an admiration, but also an abhorrence to it. And uh, I genuinely admire those of you who take on marathons and put in the long hours of training and, and run around our city for good causes. Well done. But I also have an abhorrence. I abhor the, fa- the, kind of the reality that I might ever have to run one myself uh, because I have watched you run around this city dragging your corpses around, barely jogging. Let's be clear. So like, it's not running. I could walk faster than some of you are running those last few miles. And uh, I've stood at the finish line and uh, kind of missed one of my friends across the finish line because his demeanor was so changed by the experience. He was so ashen and hobbled over that I did not notice him cross the finish line. So was his change. I was like, mm, mm, mm. I do not want to do that. I've stewarded a few marathons. The first one, I had to go home early because I got heat stroke. <laughs> I am not a man for endurance sports. I don't mind doing hard things. I work hard. I like being busy. That's okay on my terms. But I'm never going to kind of sun up for endurance sports. I definitely did not sun up for life endurance. I don't know about you, but 2022 felt like an endurance sport for me. And that was on the back of 2021, which also featured a fair amount of endurance, which was on the back of what? 2020! which is also a year of endurance. Challenges, political, pandemic, Putin. Hardship with health and family and friendship and work and the list goes on. It's like, God, in 2023, you know what? I am praying for endurance because if I start praying for endurance, you're going to give me things to endure. I don't want any more things to endure. And as I looked at this, I just knew in my heart, I know what the prayer I did have. I was like, God, give me some ease and make the hard stuff stop. That's the prayer I want to pray this year. I don't want to pray what Paul's praying. I don't want to pray for endurance, God. I don't want to endure anymore. I just want it to be easy. Just a bit of comfortableness. Not comfort in pain, just comfortable would be fine. Now, maybe I'm speaking to some people who are far more godly than I am. Maybe you look back for the last few years like, yes, God has been with me and I've gladly and joyfully endured. And I've got faith that the challenges that come this year, that God's going to continue to give me faith-filled, smiling endurance. Well, God bless you. And we are genuinely grateful for you. But maybe, just maybe, there's some others in here who have at least a semblance of the feeling that I have. Maybe just subtly in your heart, like mine, I, didn't, I wouldn't have known it was there without kind of asking God for spiritual insight and understanding. Maybe something in your heart has crept that sense like, God, just make things a bit easier for me. Well, what do we do? What do we do with this? Well, first we look at the rest of the verse. Because what kind of endurance does Paul describe? He says this, may you be strengthened with all power for all endurance with patience and joy. With joy. Paul is not talking about gritting your teeth, head down, stoic, marching forward. Paul adds into the equation, joy. Endurance is admirable. Joyful endurance is divine. It's 
of God, literally of God. Where I bristle at the idea of having to endure anything else this year. I realize that although it may indeed, indeed involve suffering and challenge, when partnering with Jesus and joining him in prayer, I'm also partnering with joy. Hey, we spent a whole term looking at where joy comes from. It comes from our Lord and Savior, Jesus. He's not sending us out to endure 2023 as some distant sergeant major, marching off with a pack into the distance. No, he comes with us. He's the one who prayed in John 17 for you and me and continues to pray for you every single day, every single hour, every single moment. And he prays that we would know that we are in him and that he is in us. As we go into the world, we would know his protection, that we would know his presence, and that we know him changing us, changing us to be more like himself. And what is he like? Well, he was the one who endured joyfully. With a joy set before him, he endured the torment of his torturers, the mocking of the mob and the cruelty of the cross. Why? So that you and I can know his power, that we can know his strength and his comfort as we talk about our cross and face the challenges of the year ahead with endurance, with patience, and yes, with great joy in our hearts. And the full knowledge that as we do so, he is with us, that he is for us, that we are already qualified. As Paul says in the remaining verses of today's passage, he says that we are qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. He is the one who has brought us safe thus far. Hey, you know what? I'm still, hard. I'm still here after 20, 21 and 22. Why? Because God carried me. It's not because of me. It's because of his grace in my life. As the famous hymn says, it was grace that brought me safe thus far. And that's enough. 2023, you're on your own. No. He brought me safe thus far and it's grace that will lead us home. It's his grace that will lead us through 2023. Then he'll give us strength for each day, grace for each day and endurance for the year ahead. There's nothing that we need to lack for this year as we imitate Paul in praying without seeing, ceasing. Praying that God will give us his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit empowered divine knowledge, wisdom and understanding and a growing desire for his power to endure with patience and joy. I've got to pray for us as we finish. Why don't we stand to our feet? I'd just love to pray Paul's words over us and the band are going to come and join me now. Why don't you just uh, still your heart for a moment? Maybe close your eyes, maybe hold out your hands if that helps as I pray for us. Thank you, Jesus that you have never ceased and will never cease to pray for us. And we join you now as we make, as you make your request before our Heavenly Father, asking that we may be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we would walk in a manner worthy of you and fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work this year and increasing in the knowledge of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. May each of us be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience and God with loads and loads of joy. Always giving you thanks because you have qualified us to share in the inheritance of your saints in light. Thank you for delivering us from the domain of darkness and transferring us into your kingdom and through your receiving redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
Help us keep these truths and these prayers ever before us. We love you and praise you, our precious Lord and Saviour. And we pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.